secluded blacksmith shop hidden deep in the mountains three strange men work around the clock to complete the biggest challenge of their careers thunderdome Wrestling's toughest, the steel cage is home, but there's never one like the Thunderdome. There's no way in and no way out. It's Halloween Havoc's most frightening bout. Six tons of steel and electrified. The only way to win is the Terminator outside. For Funk and Muda, Sting and Flair, these blacksmiths have made sure they'll stay right there. It's 30 feet high, it's 30 feet wide. There's no place to run and no place to hide. There's no way to win, only to lose. And how you do that depends on the Terminator you use. It's Halloween Havoc and the Thunderdome. If you want to take part, best pick up your phone. and welcome to another edition of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, as we are on the eve of Backlash 2017 here on the uh, the third week of May, what do you have from the news desk this week, sir? Unfortunately, we have lost another wrestler. Pretty Boy Doug Summers has passed away. I am unfamiliar with Pretty Boy Doug Summers. He you- was a AWA wrestler, actually tag team wrestler uh held the awa tag titles he was part of a tag team with playboy buddy rose managed by sensational sherry and twice held the awa world tag team championship for 65 years old which is still kind of young absolutely he had a longer life than most wrestlers it seems like lately but that's still unfortunately very tragic it was still active uh, on the indie scene up until 2011, so uh, retired in February of 2012, so had a very long career. Did break into WCW, wrestled at Halloween Havoc 91, and lost to Van Hammer in the first pay-per-view match of his career. Ooh. He would later join the WWF as a jobber on shows like Primetime Wrestling, so little tie-in to a couple weeks ago. There you go. So yeah, unfortunately... Youngest of seven children... That is intense. That's that's a lot of, yeah, it's a lot of relatives. So uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to his family and friends. Sad to see another one pass away. WWE signs their very first full-time woman ref. Yeah, I've thought they've had women ref in the past before. Like, I feel like they've as had... guest referees. Never. No, I feel like they've had regular officials before that were women. They have not. Appa- apparently, uh, apparently yet, yeah, they've never had a full-time no. women's referee. 
Uh, well, a woman referee. Now, is she going to be allowed to work men's matches, or is this I don't just... know, but I would like to discuss this. Be- me being a referee, I would like to spend a little time on this. How is it that a woman female referee is going to make it... I'm not trying to be sexist. I'm just saying, how is it that she's going to make it in wrestling other than doing the women's matches? Because she can't take bumps. She can't... Right, she can't... They don't let men hit women anymore. Right. So, I mean, I don't see a really a major need for for her. I mean, if they would allow... She know, can work matches where there's not going to be a ref bump, I guess. But that gives shit away then, because if you see her in the match, you already know, like, it's oh, gonna be a clean it's going to be a clean finish. Well, she can still have her back turned at the wrong time and stuff. I actually see that could be a good angle where a guy is being sexist towards a female referee. I mean, where a wrestler just That's has true. beef with this female referee that he never gets physical, but I could see this working. I don't really see, I don't really see a problem with this. I mean, I do think that it makes more sense like you say for women's matches just because the women can hit her if yeah. they want to because right. women can hit women yeah that's fine but yeah it would be kind of tough working her into like i don't know like a plunder match you know where she might right you can't have a, a big burly wrestler smacking her with a chair or whatever so yeah i don't know i have my reservations about the whole situation um but hey man more power to her she's paving ground I'm going to, you know, I'm going to back her every way possible, but... If she can count to three, she can do the job, right? There's more to it than that. I don't know. I just don't see how they're going to be able to pull this off other than just having her do women's matches. Because you can't be in there and she be in the way and take a, you know, a mistake happens and she gets bumped either because then, you know... Yeah, or you have your good guy face wrestler accidentally knock into her. Right. So you don't you don't really want to take that chance. Or I wouldn't want to if I was WWE, but maybe it's the turn of a little bit more edgy to where we can start seeing a little bit more of that again. I doubt it. But, I mean, we're not saying it's like Lita getting beat up with a chair from Triple H in Austin like that used to happen on Raw. Or Gene Snitsky kicking babies. Yeah, or miscarriages. Trish, Trish Stratus going through a table from Bubba Ray Dudley. You know, we're not saying anything like that, but I'm just saying... Maybe they could give a little bit more. The first place they're going to incorporate her is into this women's tournament is probably the first utilization yeah. of her. As far as women referees, that's great and all. I think it's still time. It's well past time for a female commentator. I'm sorry. I mean, I, yeah, I agree with that one as well. Um, Renee Young could do play-by-play or color commentary. Oh, and God, she'd be better than JBL. Yeah, she'd be better than Byron Saxton, David Otunga, Booker T. Pretty much all of them. Michael Cole. I, she'd probably be better than Michael Cole at this point in his yeah, career. Yeah, I really would like Michael Cole to... And so I think that might happen in that women's tournament, too. So I mean, I, I'm all for it. So I hope it turns out well for her. I really do. And I will back her 100%. There's a lot of reservations, though, towards her getting this role from a lot of other people on the indie circuit thinking yeah this is kind of a bad idea type and so i uh but i'm gonna back her i'm gonna stand behind her ever every step of the way especially since she's the only female ref if they if they hired more if they hired like a crop all at once yeah it would be i think better uh because when she's the only one if she is refing like a main event match on the main roster she's going to be a distraction i mean other than you're just going to oh yeah you're going to she's focus going to stand out it's not referee a female referee always you don't stands want your out. referees to stand out at all yeah she's always going to stand out and if she's the only one you can put her in dress you know dress 
black pants like they do or and and you know you can put her in but to be a fair i mean referee shirt she's still gonna stand out but i mean charles robinson stands out with that bleach blonde hair every yeah, time with, so with flair's hair so you know the same as goes for uh for teddy long when he refereed standing out so earl hebner i mean earl hebner and so uh nick patrick well we know we know your thoughts about nick patrick oh he was the worst and so she's uh, definitely going to be better than nick patrick already she hasn't refed a, you know a single match yet but she's not the world's greatest ref like me but you know she's striving you to gotta be start there. somewhere yeah she's striving to be there so you know congratulations to her and uh it's overdue but it is nice for the company to be the first at something like this because this is something that mixed martial arts does I mean, I've never seen a woman, a female referee in a mixed martial arts match. Yeah, between two I mean, men, even so. between two women, I haven't seen a female referee in mixed right, martial arts. So. so this is really paving new ground. It's really rare for the this company to be out ahead of anybody. Yeah. So. Unfortunately, our friend Al Snow was having car trouble earlier this week. And uh, while on the side of the road working to try to figure out what was going on, two police officers offered their help. They ran his license. Found and, uh, out by running his license that he was a uh he had a failure to appear yeah from, bench warrant from two years ago and so unfortunately al snow was arrested and for uh was just hours later released on a little over 200 dollars bond obviously al snow was not aware of this you know, and a lot of people aren't aware of this. When oh, this you happens know, a lot. It does. So it's not like he had drugs. It's not like he was. It's a DUI. It's not like you know everybody's. You know, oh my goodness, Al Snow got arrested. You know, it, it was just a complete misunderstanding. You can miss traffic court and get a bench warrant issued for your arrest. So. Exactly. So it's just one of those weird things. Everybody's blowing way out of proportion. Well, I mean, he does end up with a mugshot, which kind of sucks because those things follow you around. Oh, for... they stick with you. That's unfortunate, but uh, Al Snow, uh, he'll uh, he'll get through this trying time, and absolutely, I think, I think it'll all get sorted out very quickly. The, he wasn't uh, trying to board an airplane with meth like X Pac, so <laughs> allegedly, very very allegedly, yes, yeah. allegedly. Last week's final on. Uh, Total Divas. Oh, the season finale. The, the season finale. The cliffhanger. Finale. Also, the last time you will see Eva Marie under the WWE banner. Well, why do you say that? She is about to be let go due to a mutual agreement. Her replacement was announced earlier this week that her replacement for Total Divas is going to be Charlotte Flair. Fair enough. I mean, so. if the show is supposed to follow wrestlers, yeah. you have to wrestle to count as a wrestler. Eva Marie does not wrestle. No. And when it, she has tried, she has failed miserably in the past. So I, I think Eva Marie is a great talent for uh, for a female manager, a valet. Uh, I think she could stand out as doing kind of the same scenario as... Uh, Sonny. Yeah, Sonny. Just a personality. Unfortunately, though, due to this whole drug suspension that she got you have not really seen her back on tv since no she was not part of the superstar shakeup, so she has no assigned roster brand it, it almost and i don't know what she allegedly got suspended for but she said it was a uh i think she said it was cough syrup it was a prescription she, yeah that was because, expired or something yeah like that. because she was you know she was 
had allergies with this with the season change, which is everybody does. Yeah, I, I don't. I, think, I think it's taken way too far. If they can find a spot for her and give her something to do, then I'd keep her around. But this company is acquiring so much talent, and the rosters just keep getting bigger and bigger. And you're adding all these shows. Like I said before, sometimes you have to trim the fat around the edges and say, "What kind of value do we really get from you?" And being on Total Divas has a value to it, but not that much value, especially when you can easily replace her with a Charlotte Flair or some other, grab some other female on your roster yeah. to fill that spot. So I'm sorry, just people like Eva Marie, Darren Young, Titus O'Neil. sometimes just cut these people and let them go on. Yeah, I, I am a huge fan and a big friend uh, Kurt Hawkins, uh, go uh, ahead. That's a, fine. A great friend of uh, the one and only Bob Backlund. I love seeing Bob Backlund back. However, Titus O'Neil and Darren Young, like Darren Young just needs to go. He hasn't, I mean, they just don't have anything for him. It's no. not these wrestlers, it's not the talent's fault when they don't have anything Unfortunately, for him. Unfortunately, he shattered his elbow, so I mean, he's going to be out a while. But How did he shatter his elbow? He's never on TV. Well, he shattered his elbow couple months back he's already had on a surgery house show? yeah well, no i believe it was on raw he still though he's uh he was going to be out six to eight months and so i i think that that with what they had going for him that killed all momentum he's done i know because of uh things in contracts and when you're injured they can't cut you and all this stuff but like tyson kidd is still on this roster even though he hasn't wrestled in two years and he's you know he might never wrestle again then cut him stop paying these people when you don't use them tyson kidd i feel like still has something to give now whether it's a a live roster or whether it's working nxt training young talent Tyson Kidd can do something well if they could assign him there but he hasn't done any of that yeah they haven't done it I don't understand why either but they haven't but I mean you brought up Kurt Hawkins Summer Rae I mean Summer Rae doesn't do anything no I'm sorry. I mean, Paige. it almost makes me feel like her her leaked pictures came from her, <laughs> just to strictly get just to try to get out there in the headlines. And I understand, like I've said before, I understand they have families and they need to have income. Yeah, but I'm just thinking from a corporate perspective that I've got all these these roster people. What am I getting from them? What am I doing to? What are they contributing to me? You know, and to the company and. Would they be better off somewhere else? You know, maybe help them find another job, but this right. isn't working for them. And Eva, Eva Marie's one of these people that she's a beautiful woman, and they probably thought, well, if we can get her to just be barely, you know, functional as a wrestler, she could go really far, but like a sable, but it's not, she just, some people can't wrestle. Yeah. But I still think there's a great place for her as a female valet or a, a doing, doing a gimmick like Sunny where, you know, she shows up just to help, you know, as a special announcer for a match here and there or something. There's, there's a spot for her, but unfortunately, they, uh, uh, she doesn't want to do it anymore. She wants out of the business. She wants to uh, go and start her own different companies. She's already got some launched, uh, some from like female jewelry to female clothing, and she wants to be a Kardashian. That's yeah, fine. everyone that's wants kinda, to be one. That's kind of the gimmick. That's I'm the getting. dream. That's the American and dream so, now uh, is to do nothing. Hopefully, it's a good gig if you can get it. Yeah, look good and do nothing and get paid for it. But more power to her. This one pertains to the indie circuit, and I quote: Randy Orton, who I have always backed, who I've always stood behind. 
who I've always said is a great, wonderful wrestler. Randy Orton can kiss my ass. Why is that, Patrick? Because of his comments towards indie wrestling and because of his comments towards people that are on the indie circuit or that got to where they got, like Kevin Owens, like AJ Styles, like all these other great talents that worked indie circuits to get to where they are. Because Randy Orton was ace cowboy Bob Orton's son, he was given that spot. Now, yes, he is a gifted athlete. Randy Orton, to this day, I still argue, is one of the best wrestlers in the business. This is still bullshit. Shut the fuck up. Nobody wants to hear it. I've never liked Randy Orton as a person. I think he's a scumbag. And, uh, you know, the guy went AWOL from the Marines. He's uh, shitting in bags, allegedly, sometimes. And uh, he got Ken Anderson fired from the company. He's a real asshole. And, uh, you know, he's a big baby. He's spoiled rotten uh, because he's a good-looking guy. Can get things done in the ring. He's a perfect WWE wrestler because he doesn't wrestle a very exciting, high-flying style. And he doesn't... He's a functional... He's the best functional wrestler as far as, like, doesn't botch. But he's very methodical in the ring. He takes... And I think his style has gotten very stale. This kind of slow prodding. He's always got to think about what he's doing headlocks, you know, just an old school kind of uh, style in the ring. Right. And also, as far as his outside of the RKO, which is still a great looking finisher, all of his other signature moves, that draping DDT, I don't really like that that much because the wrestlers have to, you know, get their legs on the... It's like the 619. They have to help him and... Yeah. yeah. But no, he was taking a shot at uh, indie wrestlers that have to do 1,300 suicide dives in a match and to... He's got a bit of a point because I, I'm not denying when the young bucks do 1500 super kicks. It oh, kind of, I, I agree. The young bucks need to chill the freak out. I and I don't care who I piss off in that comment either. The young bucks need to chill out on the whole super kick deal. But I just feel like you know. And then JBL on bring it to the table goes out there and brings up this topic as well on the latest. Thing. And I don't know why I'm watching this strictly because of the pissed off hatred that I have for this. That I'm actually curious as to what are they going to say to piss me off next. JBL goes out there and says, what, you should be proud that you worked 15 years on the indie circuit to finally make it here to the WWE, to the promised land, to the greatest show on the earth. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are some guys that have never made it and, uh, you know, continue to work. I mean... I mean, there are talented... Some people just do this for fun, you know. Right. And, and But there are talented athletes out there that have given their all, that have paid their dues. There are talented athletes, great friends of mine, that I would love to see make their debut in WWE. I've brought up Fred Yeti once before. I will bring him up again. He is, without a doubt, he reminds me of Macho Man Randy Savage, the way he's so methodical and the way he moves. He's quick-paced, but yet he can slow it down. There are so many guys in the indie circuit that can actually back up a true match and make you go, wow, every time you see it. With your comments, JBL, with your comments, Randy Orton, you're shitting on all of them. 
I think it's important to keep in mind, too, that people that go to indie wrestling shows and indie wrestlers and indie wrestling companies and small comp- smaller companies like a Ring of Honor or... Gorilla. In- that helps your product. That helps the WWE product because if you're invested at that level, you're going to be invested at the WWE level. Right. You might even prefer the indie wrestling, but you're still going to follow the main sport. Absolutely. And as long as... If they're not out there, if there's no one stirring any... I mean, wrestling is already a niche kind of product anyway. I mean, it's it's diminished. The audience has diminished year after year after year as far as television ratings and you know, it doesn't even exist on pay-per-view anymore because of the network. If they're not out there, stir- who's going to generate the interest? Because right. the WWE is not always going to be in your town. The WWE is not always going to be... You might not ever get to meet Randy Orton or Triple H, but you might get to meet the next one at an indie show. You know, you might... Yeah, I mean, we're, we're based out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. WWE comes to Chattanooga once a year. If that. If that. I don't think they came last year. Right. Now, two hours away is Nashville and two hours away is Atlanta. They hit Nashville once, maybe twice a year. They hit Atlanta at least three to four times a year. But yeah. Knoxville's two hours away from Chattanooga, and it's only an hour from Nashville. They do maybe one show a year in Knoxville. Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's not, it's not like they're hitting every town humanly possible. And so there are wrestling fans out there that want to go to shows that WWE may not come to your city. The entire state of Mississippi. I mean, how often do they? That's true. I mean, like, there's entire regions of this country where they would never be caught dead. Other than Birmingham, I don't even think they hit Alabama. So Or Louisiana, unless so if, it's New Orleans. So so if you can't go to the National Guard Armory, which Randy Orton you know, was shitting on, you, where are you going to go if you want to see live pro wrestling? Yeah. After all that, I do want to say he came out a day or two ago and retracted the statement and said that he said it out of context and he it was meant it was took out of context as well i don't know the exact statement but i felt like that was more of a wwe telling him to do it kind of thing well i think he was just trying to stir up the internet and get some heat on himself and frankly on you know his last two programs with bray wyatt have not been very no good no. In fact, I'd say since winning the Royal Rumble, which is supposed to set you off, it's been pretty flat for old Randy. And so to generate, and I mean, he's going into a match tonight against Jinder Mahal. So that's not exactly getting the world on fire. Right. So generate some heat just, and he did that. So it's, you know, it's pretty, it's easy. It's pretty bad though when he is the WWE champion and I could care less. It might not even go on main event tonight. The champ, you know, the most prestigious belt. This is the longest lineage, yeah. you know, out there that's still being actively defended and it might not even main event the show. So Yeah, uh, that's that says something about the talent work in that match. I'm just yeah. gonna leave, I'm going to leave it at that right there. Last but certainly not least, CM Punk. CM Punk was offered 1 million dollars. I saw this, yes. to work one match in a UK indie tournament. One million dollars, one match. He has not given his answer yet. He is still thinking about it. He said the offer is on the table and he is very legitimately considering taking this offer. And I have one message. You better freaking take that. <laughs> well, it, it would have to, the UFC would have to approve it because he techn- he still is under contract to them. 
I mean, he hasn't fought since September, which where he was defeated easily. In he the, got his head taken off in the uh, in his octagon debut, but he still is uh, under contract to them, so they'd have to sign off on it. I just don't see him doing it. But it, for that company, that was a great promotional idea. I mean, it got people talking. I don't know. You didn't write down the company name, did you? But... I couldn't find the company name. Yeah, but... maybe you can do some research and find it as well. I strictly just kept finding indie tournament. Five Star Wrestling is the company. Five Star Wrestling. Well, you know, if you want to get attention and you know the guy's probably going to say no, I mean, then just do this all the time. Just say, I'll give, uh, you know, I'll give Triple H a million dollars if he shows up at uh, the UTC arena tonight, you know. But my my whole deal is, you better have that million dollars to back it up. Does Five Star, I, I know nothing about this this promotion are they legitimately credible in possession of a million dollars credible enough to be in possession of a million dollars well that's a uh, good question i (laughs) i mean don't don't because if he says yes then you're 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 screwed well he should be asked to be paid in cash because you don't want to see if that check bounces so oh yeah because i got a feeling it's gonna bounce all the way to the moon it, I, I like the gimmick. I love this. That's something that's a, a promoter's. That was a great promoter's idea, and yeah. I think it should always you throw it out there to anybody. You know, just make sure you have the means to back it up. Yeah, you certainly don't want them to come collect, and you if don't they say, have it. Yeah, sure, and you don't have it. You are risking some credibility with your fans, though. Uh, if you yeah, if you don't have the money, that would be very bad. Yeah, that'd be old bait and switch WCW booking. Yeah, come here to watch CM Punk tonight oh he didn't show up sorry card subject to change that'll be thirty dollars please you know i i hate that phrase card subject i I understand i understand why it's in there people have travel issues people have personal issues injuries injuries they know what they're doing yeah i think it's it's in there for for that specific reason but I think it's took more advantage of than it possibly should. Backlash happening tonight. There's only one match to really pick. I think most of the other ones are pretty... It's pretty apparent where they're going to go in all the other matches. I mean, I don't think Kevin Owens is going to be dropping that U.S. title since no. he just won it back like two weeks ago. I agree with you. The Nakamura match has already happened. Spoiler. I mean, he's not going to lose his debut match. Right. So that leaves us with... The million dollar, the CM Punk one million dollar question, Patrick. Is it time to hand Jinder Mahal the prestigious WWE world title? Not yet. Not yet. So what do you think? They're going to work an angle with him. And Rusev, maybe? And Rusev. And Rusev and Jinder are going to turn on each other. Then they're going to give it to Jinder. Jinder will be a WWE champion. I, that will happen. I don't see it happening tonight. They're going to ride that emotion just one more pay-per-view. I think you make the change tonight. I think you go ahead and You really do it. think so? I you think, think you pull the trigger. I think even though it's it's so soon after, I mean, that's a short title reign oh, for Randy. Oh, absolutely. It's a short title reign for Randy, but Randy as we mentioned, is not really going anywhere. His character's kind of flat. The Bray I mean, Wyatt feud really uh, the House of Horrors match really hurt this guy. I the, think it hurt Bray too. Oh yeah, Bray it, is uh, very damaged. I it, mean, it didn't. It did not help. And the trade to Raw, it didn't help anybody in regards to that that match. Whatsoever. They've been fumbling Bray Wyatt for years, and it's just yeah. going to continue. And I mean, go, sending him to Raw, I think, really hurt him because now he's just another guy, and he doesn't have his family. And you need to put. The, and it hurt Eric Rowan and Luke Harper because now they're lost. I was I was really looking forward to seeing the Wyatt family. Putting Luke Harper, Eric Rowan, 
Braun Strowman and Bray against Finn Balor and AJ Styles and the club. Yeah, and they I just just reformed the, the kind of uh, the club, but yet the the Bullet Club. I would like to have saw that. That would have been a great eight man tag. You have pushed gender so hard the last few weeks. I mean, I, gender, I never thought in a million years would be in this position. Hey, more power to him, man. I'm all for him. Well, we will find out later tonight. We will know next week. On our next episode as the pay-per-view is in progress right now. But it's time to go back to 1989. This was your pick this week. Yes. We're staying in 1989. We were there for primetime wrestling, and we stayed through October to see Halloween Havoc, the first ever Halloween Havoc. Yes. The WCW's, one of their uh, big events, I guess. One of their... Their big four, would you say? Their big three? <laughs> yeah, I guess their big three, because Starcade, Star- American Bash, and... Yeah, they're Halloween big Havoc, yeah. yeah. So this was the start. They actually, you know, this continued until the year 2000. I mean, this was one of those that they did right up until they closed. Yeah. The Thunderdome match is our main event tonight, Patrick. A Thunderdome match. I was very curious to see what I, this Thunderdome was, was going to be. I was very curious as well. I thought a Thunderdome-type gimmick was a brilliant idea. There, I, we've discussed it many times. There are no such thing as bad gimmick ideas. It's no. all in the execution, Patrick. Yes. that is The House of Horrors is a great idea. The execution was shit. It's October 28th, 1989. We're going to the Philadelphia Civic Center in front of 7,300 people. As you will see when the pay-per-view opens, there are a lot of empty chairs in this house, buddy. A lot. Uh, The entire... This is a three-decker arena, and the third deck is darkened out. Emptied. I'm pretty sure they said, hey, if you're up there, come on down. Yeah, and even then, you could see even in the good seats, there are empty seats like all around. Now, the people that were there were really excited to be there. This was a hot crowd for the alleged 7,300 people that were there. That is true. They were pretty hot for a... Halfway empty arena. Yeah, they were. They were pumped and excited and ready to tear into it. So We start with some 80s graphics of the spooky graveyard scene, of course. It's Halloween Havoc. It has to be spooky. And we zoom into some animated gravestones, and we see our main eventers, our ghosts, Patrick. Yes. Even though in 2017, all of these wrestlers are still alive today. so <laughs> Which is a rarity. Yeah, this... <laughs> This card actually has a lot of living people still yes, on it. Like it does. I mean, it's it's rare to go back even to like 2004 and find a card with a lot of living wrestlers. And this has a lot from 1989. It's quite impressive how many, I mean, considering the mortality rate in pro wrestling, this was quite impressive. We're at four people. That's it. Four people are the only ones, four people out of this whole pay-per-view that have left Had us. a lot of tag team matches, too, so these are a lot of multi-man matches. Yes, yes. So. That's a lot of people, and only four have left us. Yeah. Well, perhaps the uh, the problems with steroids and stuff wasn't as strong in WCW in 1989 as no. it was yeah. over in the uh, World Wrestling Federation. JR welcomes us to Philadelphia. He's joined by Bob Cottle. Gordon Sully is backstage. He's got a spooky net behind him. It's like he's stuck in like a pirate's net. He, it, it reminded me of like a weird spider web. Yeah, a rope spider web, basically. Yeah. He teases the interviews he'll have later. Jim and Bob then hype the Thunderdome, of course. But if you have already bought this pay-per-view, you don't need to get hyped. You know, you're already hyped. You yeah. spent the money on this pay-per-view. Well, they just want to keep you that way. Yeah, keep you hyped. Christopher Cruz is backstage. 
teasing his interviews. Of course, this is when Shivani's in the WWF. So Christopher Cruz is our Tony Shivani replacement. I did not know who this dude nope, was. Nope, never have seen him before and probably after this. I don't remember anything about Christopher Cruz. <laughs> me neither. So I, that doesn't make me feel as bad as I was. I will quickly look up Christopher Cruz WCW and see. See what pops what up. What became of Christopher Cruz? Thank you, gentlemen. Good to be here in Philadelphia. I'll be talking with the following participants just moments before they enter the ring. I'll be talking with them live. Of course, the legendary Bruno Sammartino, the Steiners, the Road Warriors, Sting, Ole Anderson, and of course, world's heavyweight champion, Nature Boy, Ric Flair. All that and much more are coming up live here from Philadelphia. Now the long months of waiting have come to an end, and Halloween Havoc is about to begin. It's my pleasure to introduce to you the world's best ring announcer, Gary Michael Capetta. He is on Twitter, so uh, okay. He does not have his own Wikipedia page, so wow, that says a lot right there. You know, you've made it when you have your own Wikipedia page. Tells, yeah, absolutely. Not just in pro I'm not, wrestling. I'm not trying to be an asshole. I'm just, you know, that's fact. Not just in pro wrestling. Christopher Cruz, Patrick, was actually with this company. He was in World War Three ninety five. So really, he has. He was. He worked off and on for the company for quite a long time. He even shows up in the rise and fall of WCW. No, he doesn't. Maybe. Oh, maybe is. No, I don't. I don't know. In matches, as it like yeah, a, to the side of a match. Yeah, I don't it's know. like an extra. He's in there or something. He's not like in the documentary. Yeah. So anyway, that's all I know about Christopher Cruz. He's on Twitter. You can find him. Gary Michael Capetta, our boy, the world's most dangerous announcer. Which how does that make you dangerous? How do you become and, a dangerous announcer? And. And retro wrestling's announcer, Gary Michael Capetta, because he loves and has not missed a single episode of Retro Wrestling Podcast. So, shout out to my boy, Gary Michael Capetta. (laughs) Well, he is the most dangerous announcer. You have to watch out for this guy. You have to keep this guy happy because he's the most dangerous. He's like Ken Shamrock, but only the Ken Shamrock of announcers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I got one thing to say. Michael Buffer needs to watch out. Oh. That's all I'm saying. Watch your back, Jack. Gary Michael Capetta introduces the wrestlers who are already in the ring. They've been standing around in the ring this whole time. It's Captain Mike Rotunda versus the Z-Man. Not to be confused with Z-Gangster, of course. This is... <laughs> this is Tom Zink. Yes, Tom Zink. I feel like we've seen this match, like, twice already in past reviews. Like, yes, this Mike match... Mike Rotunda and the Z-Man had a... Blood feud. I think you're. I don't know if I would call it a blood feud, but it was a. Uh, the more, Z-Man was always kicking off shows. Oh yeah, it's like yeah. But it was it, it was a. If we put the two together, we're gonna get a good match, kind of thing. Which I mean, Mike Rotunda is a talented wrestler. A waistlock takeover to the Z-Man. The Z-Man hasn't been pinned since arriving in WCW, so bit of a streak here. Z-Man working with a wonderful mullet tonight. A beautiful Kentucky waterfall. <laughs> The Z-Man drop kicks Rotunda, and he bails outside. Rotunda digs in his knee pad, looking for a weapon, maybe? He was looking... Thinking. He was thinking about it. E- either a weapon, or he just had a scratch. Yeah, I think yeah. he just had to scratch something. Rotunda gets back in the ring and kicks Z-Man in the nuts, and then thumbs Z-Man right in the eyes, in front of the ref. No, no DQ is called, though. This is fine for this referee. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure this referee is... Uh... Nick Patrick? Yeah. yeah. He did a lot of work on this show. A mustacheless, mustacheless young Nick Patrick is very yes. odd looking. Yes. 
Z-Man Sunset flips Rotunda and gets a two count. Rotunda, for some reason, is drenched in sweat. This man was melting in this match. Those lights are pretty hot, I bet. Especially when you have a mullet that thick and that beautiful. It's going to cause some accumulation of sweat. JR mentions that Varsity Club is broken up, but Rotunda hasn't bought new tights. So he's wrestling in Varsity Club tights. And JR even mentions they broke up some time ago. And so what what are you doing, Mike? Buy some fucking new tights, man. (laughs) Quit being so cheap. I don't think he bought new tights till he came to WWE and did IRS. I think he still wrestled in that till then. That's stupid. I mean, mean, seriously. You could even just paint over the letters or something. I don't know. (laughs) He locks in a head scissors on the ground to Z-Man. He uses the rope as leverage. Rotunda chucks Z-Man to the concrete on the outside. Rotunda keeps Z-Man from getting back into the ring. Eventually, he suplexes him back in, covers for a two-count. Abdominal stretch to Z-Man, and Rotunda uses the ropes again to help his leverage, then locks in a chin lock. But Z-Man hulks up and elbows out of it. Oh, but Rotunda cuts him off with a clothesline. Z-Man throws Rotunda into the corner. Rotunda decides, I'm going to try and hit a high cross. But Z-Man catches him. And rolls over him and gets a quick three and wins the match. Yeah, I think he was holding the tights. He's cheating a little. I think he you're, was. You're seeing some edge from the Z-Man. I think he was. And he wins the match in 13-23 in what was a common theme of the 90s, out of nowhere wins. Yes. Like heatless wins. Nothing, yeah. This was not a a. You would not be executing finisher. a finisher move. Yeah, a finishing move. Lots of these. Which, and I'm all show. for a small package or a quick schoolboy for a pin. That's more exciting than anything. I think if the match is exciting, it's it's okay. This match did not. This match needed a finisher because this match needed something to make me say wow at yeah. the end of it. Chris is backstage with Bruno. In all your years of pro wrestling, have you ever faced anything like refing this Thunderdome match tonight? No, I have not. (laughs) And Bruno says he's going to call it right down the middle. He's a man of uh, integrity. The six-man tag is next. It's the Midnight Express along with Dr. Death, Steve Williams, who I just now realized watching this pay-per-view, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, was never... He never came to the ring as a doctor. He never had scrubs. He never attempted to operate on anyone. So I just kind of thought they missed something. He He was... The gimmick was because the skull and crossbones on his tights. Right. And on his, the gimmick was like the mad scientist. Type. He needs to actually be a doctor. They kind of missed <laughs> out. That's that's all I'm saying. You know, g- giving people physicals. They could have done a lot of stuff. <laughs> Prostate exams. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kevin Nash would have loved that <laughs> in 99. So they're going to take on the Samoan SWAT team. Yes. Sa- Samu Futu, the big quiche, of course. Yes. And the Samoan Savage. So all of... I did not know who the Samoan Savage was. This is the first and only time that I have ever seen this man. I don't even think he's Samoan. I think they just painted his face a little. No, I think he's part of the family. Maybe. Is he really? I okay. think so. I think this is all that uh, Anawai family here. Okay. So it's a big family reunion. The Samoans come out. Man, they get a big entrance here. Flaming torches and they juggle them and toss them to each other. Yeah, this was almost like the uh, the Usos. Yeah, it's the same kind of they do a tribal dance or yeah. whatever. I think... I think it might have been the same dance, actually. Yeah. So. Well, the Usos should learn how to juggle this fire, and I'd be real That would real take them to a whole new level. Yeah. Oliver Humperdink is their manager. I love Oliver Humperdink. <laughs> Just throwing that one out there. The teams bark at each other outside of the ring. The Samoan Savage is thrown out by Sweet Stan. JR mentions that Sweet Stan was discovered as he was lifeguarding at a beach party held by Ric Flair. That's one way to break into the business. 
Yes. Ric Flair, probably drunk as fuck, walks up to you. Hey, you want to be a wrestler? You looking good, Shate. You want to be a wrestler? <laughs> looking good, champ. Want to lose to me next week? Yeah. Bobby tags in and takes on Samu. Samu misses a splash, and Dr. Death, Steve Williams, tags in and fires up on the entire Samoan squad. Dr. Death clotheslines Rikishi out of his socks, and then the Samoans bail outside the ring to regroup with Oliver Humperdinck. Kish tags in. And so does Sweet Stan. Stan does those karate kicks. Yeah, Stan, who is an actual karate expert. So. Just like Glacier. Keish decks him, though, with a big overhand right. So. Yeah, he does. Samu tags in and super kicks Stan Lane, drop kicks him, and Stan decides, you know what, I think I'm going to tag Dr. Death back in. He lands a few strikes before tagging in beautiful Bobby, who would be stuck in this match for it. This is all Bobby Eaton did was get take the beating. Oh, Bobby sold like he was in a movie with, of Gone with the Wind. I mean, he completely sold for every move and every single person in this match. And was stranded in the ring for a very long for time. For a very long time. Face Jim Cornette gets the crowd fired up by banging on the ring mat. Very weird to see him as a rah-rah crowd favorite. The Samoan Savage crotches Bobby in the turnbuckle after catching him. Attempting a bulldog, he caught him out of the air on this bulldog. And the Savage, the Samoan Savage, that's his name, throws Bobby out of the ring and the Samoans crotch him on the guardrail. Bobby gets splattered on the con concrete by rikishi here yes looks very and dr death did not take this too kindly because he hops down and he's ready to go to bobby's bobby's aid the savage and rikishi double clothesline bobby back into the ring and kish covers for two bobby throws kish's head into the mat jr says their heads are like bricks so of course rikishi no sells it samoan's you can't hurt their heads. No, they're like coconuts. Samu leg drops Bobby and headbutts him on the mat. The Samoans put Bobby in their corner and punch the shit out of him. <laughs> Bobby gets bitten in the arm by the Samoan Savage. He's going to need a tetanus shot. Yeah, he leaves teeth marks. Dr. Death saves the pinfall for Bobby. The Samoan Savage goes for a Vader bomb, but Bobby gets the knees up and tags in Dr. Death, who gets the hot tag. He destroys the Samoans. He tosses the Samoan Savage into Fatu and Samu, and the crowd goes nuts at this wild display of strength, lifting this big Samoan over his head and chucking him like nothing. Yeah, I forgot. I mean, I knew how well Steve Williams could wrestle and what a talented, gifted wrestler he was, and... But I forgot that he was as good as he actually was until I saw the, this feat of strength, which was magnificent. Power slam to the Savage gets a two count, but Samu breaks it up. Stan Lane DDTs the Savage, takes him out. Insiguri from Stan Lane to the Savage, but the ref doesn't see it. Then Cornette decks Humperdink with the tennis racket. Bobby is tossed into Cornette, and the tennis racket is protruding over the ring rope, so Bobby's head goes into the tennis racket. Knocked, knocked Bobby out cold. And this allows the Samoan Savage to roll up Bobby Eaton and get the win in 1823 in what I thought was a really fantastic six-man tag. Oh, I was, yeah. I really enjoyed this. This was a good match. Solid from start to finish. These were good styles to go against each other. The brawlers uh, with the Samoan team, the, the big power crazy, guys, yeah. and yeah, the fast guys. And then, of course, Dr. Death to get all the glory for this one mega spot, you know, in the middle of the match. So I thought this was this was probably my favorite match, I think, on the night, actually. Was I think one. Steve Williams was very underrated for his his talent. You know, his Fedron, it was just, it was too late for the guy. The yeah. guy was never going to fit in with... 
the Attitude Era. It was just not going to work. Gordon Sully is backstage with Gary Hart and Terry Funk, who is Jack. Whoa, Terry Funk, I never knew looked this he good. Was ripped. He, Terry Funk says they're going to start a dance craze with the 10,000-watt boogie tonight. They're also in, introducing fried chicken when they electrocute Ric Flair in the Thunderdome cage, which is an electrified cage, apparently. Yes. And since Ric Flair is a scaredy chicken, he's going to be fried. I really thought for a second there he was going to call him a chicken shit, but then he didn't, So, which would have been completely hilarious if he did. We go from a great match to the worst match of the night, the Cuban Assassin. Somebody say something about getting fired up! <laughs> Tommy Rich is going to wildfire. Ta- Tommy Rich. Tommy Rich is going to take on the Cuban assassin. I noticed during the beginning of this match, a lot of people in the crowd decided this was the bathroom break, and they, they were, were gonna- wrong because I love Tommy Rich. Not tonight, buddy. Uh, not tonight. This was not Tommy Rich's night. Now, the night. Cuban assassin, that's another story, but I love Tommy Rich. The Philadelphia crowd chants, Tommy Rich sucks at times during this match. Tommy Rich fucks up a sunset flip, which gets some booze. The assassin uses some flare chops on Tommy in the corner. Rich uses a lot of arm bars in this match. He takes a high knee from the assassin, and this knocks him out to the floor. The assassin looks for a pile driver when they get back in the ring, but Rich back body drops him out of it. Assassin tries a move off the top turnbuckle, but gets crotched. The assassin tries a high cross, but totally misses, allowing Rich to get the Thez press and wins in 829. When when was the last time you saw Lou Thez press to win a match? This was probably the first in quite a while that I've... Yeah, I I sad to say I enjoyed this match. Oh, jeez. This was (laughs) trash. I'm sorry, Tommy Rich, but this was... You could have got in shape, too. He was looking like he got right out of the house. No, come on, Tommy. He was in terrible shape. Don't knock on Tommy. I I love Tommy. Tommy Rich, good friend. Love him to death. Great match. Gordon Sully is backstage with Jimmy Jam and Michael Hayes. Jimmy Jam says they're great and they'll be great tomorrow. Michael Hayes says you'll find out why they call us fabulous. Tommy Rich looking mighty good with that uh, vertical press. But in gentlemen, in just about 60 seconds, it all goes on the line. Let me tell you something, baby. Every night the Freebirds go in the ring, it all goes on the line. And it's the same old stinking story, baby. We still remain champions. We're the greatest tag team in the world tonight. And we're going to be the greatest tag team in the world in the morning. Take it, Michael. Well, you know, it's like this. So many women, so little time. And like Prince said, it is a sign of the times. The dynamic dudes are a great young team. But when they meet the Freebirds, in just a matter of moments, you're going to find out why they call us fabulous. You're going to find out why they call us Bad Street. You're going to find out why or what Mama and Daddy warned you about a long time ago. And Gordon, you've seen it rolling and rocking for many years. I have indeed, and I'll tell you what. Their palace could turn into a mansion of misery tonight, that's for sure. All right, time for this world championship match. Let's go to the ring. Jim Cornette is back out. He's with the Dynamic Dudes. Now, do you know who the Dynamic Dudes are? Well, they went by their real names, so it was easy. Well, they're they're gimmicked real names. Shane Shane Douglas Douglas and Johnny Ace, the... Father, father-in-law, stepfather-in-law of Dan- Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella, Johnny Ace. Yes. And the brother of Road Warrior and This is a weird family tree that is being carved out in uh, pro wrestling right now, but Johnny Ace. John Laurinaitis, the greatest general manager 
of the history of general managing. That's right. People the, power. Now, the dynamic dudes, Shane Douglas and Johnny Ace, their uh, their gimmick is 80, stereo, like 80 skater stereotypes. Oh, yeah. They come out with skateboards. They look like Bart Simpson. Bright neon clothes. They, there you go. They want to be Bart Simpson. Simpson. Big bleach blonde hair. Yes. A very young. Big ass blonde mullets, yeah. A very, very young Shane Douglas. The crowd is super hot when the Freebirds come out. They run to their ring and they do what I call their pointy dance when they point at each <laughs> yeah. other. Hey, struts and moonwalks. Remember, he taught Michael Jackson how to do the moonwalk. The first course. man ever to do the moonwalk was Michael P.S. Hayes. Douglas starts the match with Hayes. Hayes tries a sunset flip but only gets a one count. Shane hits a swinging neck breaker that chases Hayes to Jimmy Jam and Johnny Ace decides to tag in. And Jimmy Jam tags in as well. Ace works Jimmy Jam's arm and Shane tags back in to take over the arm bar. Johnny Ace gets back in and works the arm bar on Hayes this time. Lots of arm bars here in the first few minutes of this match. Johnny Ace hits a power slam to Hayes and then Shane Douglas elbows him. Shane Douglas and Johnny Ace hit stereo drop kicks to Jimmy Jam and send him out of the ring. The skater dudes are rolling early on in this match. But um bump. The <laughs> Yeah, their skates are rolling, yes. The Freebirds chants start breaking out. The skater dudes face plant Michael Hayes for a two count. Hayes lands a cheap left on Johnny Ace and he gets back suplexed by Jimmy Jam. The the Freebirds get back in control. Hayes struts for the crowd while the dudes recover. Hayes lights up Johnny Ace with corner punches. The crowd want a DDT. They really love this DDT. But Johnny Ace throws Hayes off before he can do it. Jimmy Jam tags in to go against Shane Douglas. Shane rams the Freebirds' heads into each other. They don't have hard heads, so they hurt. No, that hurt. They hit a double high knee to Hayes. Then they try their finisher, the wipeout, which is a slingshot back suplex. But Jimmy John... Jimmy John. Jimmy John sandwiches are delicious, but Jimmy Jam turns around and covers Shane Douglas out of nowhere win in 11:28. And man, the Freebirds were way over in Philadelphia because this oh, crowd they was were loving pumped. it. They were pumped. This is before those heel Freebirds that we'd see a year or two later when they yeah with their glam rock gimmick. This was still they were still over. They are big time as faces here. So, but not the original. They're still not as cool as the real Freebirds. You know, no, that's Jimmy true. Jam was just never gonna cut he, it. For he me. was never gonna meet Terry Gordy's Terry Bam Bam Gordy's charisma. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Chris is backstage with Scott and Rick Steiner. Oh man, this was a brutal match. Scott says they have total reckless abandon. Rick says they like a good fight, and as long as they get to fight, it'll be okay. Then the Steiners are walking out, so that was obviously a pre-tape, because they somehow ended this interview and were walking out to the ring simultaneously. Oh, just seconds later, yeah. Nancy Sullivan brings out Doom, who are in their masked phase. Do you know who Doom was? Yes, of course. Well, because they would later wrestle without the mask. Yes. And that would be... Hacksaw Butch Reed. And Farouk. Yeah, Ron Simmons. They were jacked, by the way. Just Especially Simmons. Simmons dwarfed Reed. Yeah. I mean, this sounds bad. This sounds racist, but I didn't know who was who with the masks on. <laughs> okay? So I had to... I Googled their shoot weights, or not their shoot weights, but their build weights, and that's yeah. how I determined who was who. But as the match went on, I could tell. You could tell. When, the, when it got close on their face, I could tell, like, Farouk's facial features yeah. are much different than Butch Reed's. Uh, but yeah, so that's how you can tell the difference. The bigger one is Farouk. The Steiners ram Doom into each other and hit belly-to-back suplexes on Doom. Steiners hit stereo clotheslines 
and send Doom out to the floor. Ron Simmons starts with Scott when the match officially starts, and Scott clotheslines him in the back of the head. Ouch. Scott tags in the dog-faced gremlin who hits a Steiner line on both Doom members, and I notice here that Rick Steiner's hair is so frizzy. He yes. has a beautiful frizzy head of hair here. He does. In 1989. I got a question. What's up? What's the difference between a Steiner line and a clothesline? Nothing. Okay. Yeah. Just want to make sure. What's the difference between a Hurricane Rana and a Frankensteiner? Nothing. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. Rick is roughed up from both Doom members until he blocks a suplex from Ron Simmons and suplexes him instead. A Steiner line to Simmons from Scott gets a two count. Simmons, Stone Cold Stunners Rick Steiner and tags in Butch Reed. Reed clotheslines Rick so hard he flips over. Scott then tags in and face plants Reed and gets a two count. Simmons tags in and lands a headbutt and whips Scott into the ropes only to get German suplexed for a two count. JR mentions here that woman, Nancy Sullivan, is quite the taskmaster. Get it? That was a little little play inside, on words there. Insider yeah. reference there. Reed cheap shots Scotty and Simmons gets in control and holds Scott to receive a double axe handle from Reed. It actually worked. Reed and Simmons beat down Scotty Steiner on the outside of the ring. Double back elbows to Scott gets a two count. Reed chucks Scott Steiner over the top rope behind the ref's back. This was in the DQ top rope rule era, but he did it behind the ref's back, so it's all good. Reed hits a swinging neck breaker to Scott Steiner for a two count. Reed hits a power slam for two before Rick breaks it up. Scott has been the legal man in this match forever. A long time. Reed keeps Scott in a headlock, but Scott powers him over to get a tag from Rick. The ref missed the tag, though. No, no, still Scott Steiner is your legal man. Right. If I don't see it, it doesn't happen, right. right, ref? Sorry, I didn't see it. A double team pile driver on Scott, but Scott kicks out that at was a spike pile driver. That was brutal. That was a brutal pile driver. I really thought they took his head off. Scotty revives and lands a kick to Ron Simmons, and finally Rick gets the hot tag and comes back in. Rick runs wild and back body drops Reed and Steiner lines him and Simmons. Scott hits a, Scott hits a Frankensteiner to Simmons. Rick power slams Reed, and woman comes up to the apron to distract Rick. And hands Reed some knucks. She put and then he puts them in his mask, the old stock your mask full of weapons gimmick, yeah. which is never seen anymore. He headbutts Rick and wins the match with his loaded mask in 1532. A shocking finish as Doom upsets the Steiner brothers who out wrestled them. Butch Reed, not the greatest technical wrestler in the world. Oh so. no, Butch Reed was known for his his power and uh, strength. I I like Butch Reed. Uh, this match sucked. I thought this was pretty good. It wasn't as great as uh, the Samoan tag match earlier with the Midnight Express, but uh, this was this was okay. I, I don't like the fuck finish at the end, but yeah. it was fine. And this is one of the few, very few, coming up next Lex Luger matches that you will enjoy. <laughs> well, you'll enjoy it from all the work of his opponent that has to <laughs> pull more than his weight. As Lex Luger, Flexi Lexi, the total package, is backstage with Gordon Sully. He says, tell Pillman you'll find out why I'm the best. You know, Gordon Sully... This is the real deal, Brian Pillman. Your little exhibition skirmishes are over with. This is when you got the butterflies deep in the pit of your stomach, when it's all on the line. Big money, big reputations, a big match for all the marbles, for all the gold. And this is when you see, Brian Pillman, why I am the premier wrestler alive today. Why I stand above the wrestling world, the wrestling world is at my feet. 
I am the champion of the 90s. How many times have you been champion? Gordon Soli, I will be champion for as long as I want to be champion. Brian Pillman, that's what you find out right now. It's the U.S. heavyweight title match with a one-hour time limit. Please, God, don't let this match go an hour with Lex Luger. I see it going 59 minutes and 59 seconds. Oh, yeah, have the little timer on the screen? Yeah. I think yeah. that would be great. Lex Luger in an Iron Man match, can you imagine? Ooh, that'd be rough. Pillman is out first, and he gets a cool entrance with cheerleaders. I like this. This is a really cool entrance. This was Pillman right... If I could be wrong, but this is Pillman Wright coming straight from the football field. Right, he's this taking is, the cheerleaders with him. Yeah, that was kind of his gimmick. I mean, he is coming from the NFL, so... They all run down to the ring together. The total package is out next. He is the most jacked man on this card, hands down. And Patrick, I'd like to say you are correct. This U.S. title looks better than the one that came after it, I think. The one that Luger had here in 89, the the, the look of the belt. Yeah. I think this one does look better, actually, than, than the one that I like with, I guess it had, like, the Texas flag on it or something, like that red, white, the red, white, and blue flag, but it wasn't an American flag. You know the one I'm talking about? Like yeah. the 97 one, I guess? Right. I always thought that was the better one, but I think this one's actually. This NWA U.S. title, heavyweight title belt is just beautifully done. I would love to see it now instead of the crappy U.S. title they have in WWE. Yeah, the flag belt now sucks. Brian is, of course, the underdog because he's smaller, but he is almost as jacked as Luger for being a small man. Brian Pillman is jacked up huge. Pillman tackles Luger just like he's still on the football squad. He hasn't got it. He hasn't shaken that football mentality yet. He hits his signature drop kick and then baseball slides Luger, who is outside of the ring and... Luger. He got so much air on this drop kick. This drop kick was literally the most impressive thing I have seen most of this pay-per-view. Luger dodges a Pillman clothesline. Pillman has to run Luger down like a coward. Yeah. It's very, I mean, to be a chicken shit heel is one thing. To be then running from little Brian Pillman, who's supposed to be this underdog, not a chance in hell, and you're taking off running. Yeah. So Pillman has to go track down the total package. The package, of course... Punches and kicks Brian in the corner because that's what he can do. Brian hits a high cross and gets a two count, which would later be used as his finisher, that big uh, big uh, crossbody off the top turnbuckle. Yes. Used as his finisher. Luger gets caught in a deep arm drag and then locked into an arm bar. The cheerleaders are out in the crowd going crazy for their man, Brian Pillman. Pillman gets a crucifix on Luger for a two count. A Lex Loser sign is in the crowd. At this point, that's very creative. Yes. Pillman misses a coup de gras. Oh, no, it was a, his version of the coup de gras was not a foot stomp. His was something else. I forget what move it was, but they called it the coup de gras. And I was thinking, that's not the coup de gras. I yeah. get with the program here. <laughs> Luger drapes Pillman's throat over the ropes and clotheslines him. And then he clotheslines him some more, because that's what Lex Luger can do. A delayed vertical suplex to Brian. Brian then fires back until Luger stops him with an inverted atomic drop. An inverted atomic drop and puts him in the corner. He tries a superplex on Brian, but Brian kicks out of it and rolls Luger up for a two count. Brian hits a springboard clothesline, but Luger rolls into the ropes to break up the pin. Pillman misses a top rope drop kick. Then Luger hits the stun gun. The one move in the match I think he did. Well, second or third wrestling move he did in the match. And gets the win in 1649 as 
Luger did not deserve to win this match. No. At all. And uh, the springboard clothesline that Pillman used, I thought was, which was one of his finishers, I thought was a lot better than later the, the flying crossbody that he used. That springboard clothesline, I still think today would stand out as a great finisher. But maybe since they went, you know, since he was flying Brian, you've got to build up that he flies, you know. So. Right. I was very impressed with Brian Pillman in this match. But, oh, he carried this match. Luger didn't do shit. Chris is backstage with the Road Warriors. Chris asks Hawk if they can defeat the Skyscrapers. Hawk says people are stupid, and they know they're going to win. We are standing by live here in Philadelphia, just minutes away from the Road Warriors Skyscrapers match. Hawk, you are considered the best tag team in the history of professional wrestling, but can even the Road Warriors defeat the Skyscrapers? Well, you know, we've been underdogs all our life. And there's some critics out there that think we're underdogs tonight. Well, the people out there aren't stupid. They know better. The skyscraper. Hey, who builds buildings, Paul? People do. And who tears them down? People do. Well, we're a couple of people that are going to reduce them to rubble. Snack on danger, die on death. Dead men don't make money. Tell them, Adam. You know, a lot of people in our sport today judge themselves on how much they can take by the hands of the road warriors not by anybody else but by the legion of doom that's why we're the number one team in professional wrestling and skyscrapers you ain't gonna change that all right fans let's go back to the ring now road warriors and skyscrapers live from philadelphia the skyscrapers are out first with teddy long oh no mean mark callus patrick you Bait and switch me. Card subject to change. I was... I'm sorry. Wrong era of skyscrapers. I am sorry. This was right after Mean Mark Callis had just left. Oh, that's right. Yes. He had just left... No, he was still in 90, because we did a show from the 90s that he was on, I think. Was it? Okay. Just wasn't in this group. Instead, we get... Instead of Mean Mark Callis, we get Danny Spivey. And Psycho Sid. Well, Dan Spivey was always in the... Uh, oh, so it's Psycho Sid that gets replaced. Sid was the one that got replaced, yeah. Yeah, because Sid would be going to the WWF. Right. No, Dan Spivey was always... And, and a very underrated man. Road Warriors out next. They come up on an elevator on the stage with Paul Ellering. Which was like a slow-moving... It was like they were emerging from the grave. It, yeah, and it, it reminded me more or less of like Rey Mysterio's deal, except they it wasn't as fast. <laughs> yeah, he didn't. Yeah, they didn't. It was launch. the it was the uh, the brood. There you go. Oh yeah, yeah. Brood no fire. Brood no fire. It was very cool. The graphics and the lighting, the way it looked, it, it very, very. The Road cool. Warriors, as always, are way over. They are always going to be one of the most over teams. Was, in the history was of wrestling. this like their kiss type version of clothes or something? <laughs> like, dude, they were wearing knee pads with spikes, shin guards with spikes. They were into spikes. They were really. This wasn't just the uh, the shoulder pads. This was like full blown body gear. Some dude's hawk mask in the crowd is quite terrifying looking. It was like a homemade hawk mask. Yeah, and it was very frightening. Spivey can't be clotheslined over the top by animal. He rolls out and. Instead, Hawk tags in and beats up on Spivey, and now it turns into Hawk no-selling everything as he no-sells shoulder tackles and lands one of his own. Sid tags in and battles Hawk, who then no-sells Sid strikes. Sid then no-sells Hawk's clothesline, so it's who will sell first in this match between all these no-sellers here. Sid misses a flying shoulder tackle and Animal tags in. Sid decides to no-sell Animal's shoulder tackles. Then Sid finally decides to sell 
one shoulder tackle from Animal, and he sold it so well that he bailed outside. Hawk then tags in and wants to lock up with Sid. Sid takes him up on it. Sid wins with his alarming power in a test of strength and takes Hawk to his knees, but Hawk, of course... Hulk's back up, brother. Hawk takes Sid down, and Sid does a kip-up. Sid hits a helicopter maneuver, as it's described. It's it's a... It reminded me of Scott Hall's Razor's Edge, except instead of falling forward with him, he just, like, throws him up midair and lets him spin around. It was... It was very cool-looking. I don't know if I'd want to take it, but... Sid snake eyes Hawk on the guardrail. Sid and Spivey double-team Hawk, and then Sid chokes Hawk on the ropes. Spivey tags in and gets vertical suplexed by Hawk and tags Sid right back in. The ref misses the tag, the hot tag to Animal. Didn't see it, never happened. Spivey tags back in. Hawk hits a desperation clothesline to Spivey and makes the tag to Animal. Animal drop kicks Spivey, shoulder blocks Spivey, and then Sid stops Animal from any more damage. Both teams start brawling. Animal hits a power slam to Sid. Teddy Long then punches Ellering. And the skyscrapers use a golden key to beat the Road Warriors as the bell is rung for a DQ, a fuck finish. And the Road Warriors win based on a DQ. The golden key. Do you put the emphasis there? What What about the, the golden the key? skyscrapers. The key to the city. Animal, of course, wants all his heat back, so he hits, he hits a one-man doomsday device on Spivey. Grabs the key and then celebrates a DQ win like a true mark in 1139. And there you go. A waste of a Road Warriors match for a yeah, fuck finish. This and was a bad match. No one wants to sell. That's what's going to happen when you, get, when you get these big guys that don't want to sell. This was a bad match. However, it's time for your main event, buddy. Your main event. The reason we are here, the Thunderdome match. Yes, Thunderdome, of course, based on the uh, Mad Max movies would be the idea. This was always Dusty. I had always heard this was one of Dusty's dreams was to get this fucking Thunderdome match. And then when it happened. He wasn't even in the company. No. He was in the WWF already. Yes. So a slap in the face to Dusty Rhodes, like, you wanted this Thunderdome? Well, now we'll do it now that you're gone. I think the idea, like I said before, there's no such thing as a bad gimmick idea, Patrick. Yes. It's all in the execution, so we will see how WCW handles the Thunderdome. Let's let's go ahead and... uh... Well, we want to give the the layout of this Thunderdome. Apparently the top is electrified. But just the top. Just the top. Somehow they can control the electricity not to go through this entire metal structure and limit it to just one area at the very top. It is a cage with the top folded inward. Yes. It's not not a perfect square. No. The top folded inward is the electrified part. Allegedly. Allegedly. We have one corner with a rope. Oh, yes. You can use it like Tarzan. A rope swing, you might say. And uh, It's was... sort of like the Hell in a Cell that it, it goes around the ring. It doesn't just It reminded me of a, like, a square pajama prison match. Wow. Another the... bad gimmick idea. Yeah. That is a bad gimmick idea. I... I enjoyed that match. Of course you did. But yeah, this Thunderdome is like a, I would describe it as, as like a Hell in a Cell type structure in that it you can walk around the ring on the outside. It's yes. not, it doesn't keep you Correct. directly in the ring. And it is only 
the flaps that are folded inward are electrified. But it's made out of bars, not chain link. So it's like an old WWF cage. Yes. That goes all the way to the top. Correct. Yeah. Sort of like it's a really, really poor man's elimination chamber without the pods. I mean... That's another great way of putting it, yeah. So we will see what these... None of these guys known as big, you know... Risk takers with high risk maneuvers. So no. we'll see how they put this. Well, I guess Terry Funk is crazy enough to do anything, but we will see how they use this brilliant structure. Chris Cruz is backstage with Sting. Sting teaming up with Flair, a rare time that Ric Flair hadn't stabbed him in the back yet. Yes. You know it's coming, but it hadn't happened it yet. It's coming. Sting is a dummy because he always he always takes Ric Flair Rick's Flair's word, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to turn on you, Sting. You're my best bud. I got your back, bro. And constantly would get turned on and beaten down by Ric Flair and or the Four Horsemen. And then would extend his hand a couple weeks later. I'm sorry, listen. Sting always yeah. takes him back. Yeah. So Sting... It's like and, an abusive boyfriend. He, she, it know, is. He just keeps going back for more. Sting is going to team with Ric Flair and Ole Anderson will be in charge of their towel, which is the only way you can lose this match. Yes, this is also on the basis of a... Throw-in-the-towel match. A Right, where you have Ole Anderson in the corner of Ric Flair and Sting, and you have Gary Hart in the corner of Terry Funk and Muda. And the only way to lose this match is for the manager to throw in the towel to stop the pain, the punishment, the agony. I mean, you could be getting electrocuted, so you'd want someone to have mercy on you. Right. Oli says Sting and Flair are going to kick the crap out of the great Muda and Terry Funk. Sting just yells yes as Flair cuts a Ric Flair promo. Sting just says, this is going to be different. Thank you, Jim Ross. That is not the last we will see of the Road Warriors, Dan Spivey and Sid Vicious. Well, what can you say? We are ready for that big Thunderdome match. Oli Anderson, my question for you, at what what point will you throw in the towel? You see this towel wrapped around my arm about ten times. There's no way. You better get ready, Gary Hart. This towel is going to be like glue on my right arm. When I get out there, the only thing I'm going to be doing is watching Sting and Flair knock the crap out of Mr. Muda and Terry Funk. Get ready because your towel is going to be dropped in that ring. I guarantee. Rick Flair, are you willing you know, to risk Chris your Cruz, future in professional wrestling? I'm amazed. Throw the towel in. Here's how it goes. This is the Thunderdome. This is the big time. This is the National Wrestling Alliance. And Sting and Ric Flair stand for a cause tonight. And the yes. cause is the end of Terry Funk yes. and the Great Muda. Electrified, yes. 10,000 people, yes. Nationwide, yes. Tonight, Funk and Muda. Woo! Pay the news right there. Halloween! And guess what? It's going to be full of hammock. It's going to be different because we're talking something different than a regular wrestling match. And I love to be different. You know that. Halloween hammock and electricity. It's just seconds away now, Nature Boy. Woo! All right, fans, here we are. Thunderdome now live in Philadelphia. Special ref Bruno San Martino is out first. Then Gary Hart comes out with Great Muda, 
Terry Funk is then out next. This is Sting is out next. No door in the Thunderdome, by the way. It's going to lower down from the ceiling it onto everybody. I, th- I enjoyed that. I think that's the way it should be. And finally, Ric Flair is out last with Ole Anderson. So the cage, it takes a while for this cage to join us at the uh, the ring because it... It moves very slow. It does not lower at a... There's no chance this thing is going to come down too fast. Now, for an electrified cage... Terry Funk has no problem immediately climbing this thing, (laughs) like right off the bat. He doesn't get to the top, though. Of course, yeah. Keep that in mind. However. Yes, now, as the cage hits the ground, they decide, we're going to shoot off some pyro. We're going to show the power of the Thunderdome. It is electric. Yeah. We have some some graphic-type cloth, I want to say, like mossy-looking potato sack kind of thing yeah yeah exactly that's a great way to describe it there's some weird cloth around the top of this thing that is made to i guess add like creepiness to it or something anyway it catches fire yeah so a ref and a stagehand have to legit climb this cage with a fire extinguisher and put a fire out and as they're trying to do so, they still cannot get it put out. So seeing this, what does the great Muda do? He saves the day. This he heel. saves the day by climbing the cage and putting the fire out by giving the green mist <laughs> He the wastes fire. his mist spot to save the world here. This is hilarious. Yeah, I've never seen mist used in this way in a practical manner. And it put the fire out. Yeah, it was out. Yes. This was awesome. Good save. Yeah, Great Muda saved the arena that night. Funk and Flair are going to start the match for some reason at the start of this match. It's a tag match, and they observe tag rules at the beginning of this match. Yeah, later on it turns into a tornado, I think, but I don't really understand why you were having them tagging out anyway. That kind of defeats the purpose of a... Yeah, we say it every time we see these... Yeah. Stipulations in cages with tag teams. Well, I'm glad towards the end they just threw it out. Yeah. Bruno was like, screw it. Y'all just go at it. Funk and Flair are going to start the match. Flair lights up Funk with chops. He dares Muda to get in the ring and Sting hops in to back Flair up. I got your back, buddy. Body slams to Funk from Flair and then Flair dumps him out onto the floor. Okay. Now here's the biggest fallacy of this match. You know the top of the cage is elect- electrified. Yes, it's electrified. So why would you ever climb? Why would even bother climbing this cage at all? Because you might climb too far and get electrify yourself, electrocute yourself. Yes. So you have to really suspend disbelief because if someone told me there's i don't know a pool of piranhas around you yeah if you get in there you might get eaten alive i'm not going near there right if they say the cage is electrified i'm not going near the cage right but for some reason these wrestlers they have no fear patrick they're gonna climb this cage and risk death risk certain death so sting tags in and rams funk into this cage flair tags back in and chops funk down and lands his running knee Muda hops in the ring and lands a few flare chops. Sting throws Muda into Funk and hits a vertical suplex. Flare tags in, chops Muda, hits him with a knee drop. Then Flare tags back in the Stinger. Sting rams Muda into the cage. Muda throws Sting out of the ring and Funk takes advantage by choking him with his boot. Flare takes on Muda in the ring before they bail outside. Both teams eventually end up in the ring and Sting takes out both Funk and Muda with bulldogs. Somewhere within all of this going on, in the process of going outside of the ring, Terry Funk rips open his leg. I didn't notice that. And he is wearing blue jeans. He is bleeding through to his blue jeans. 
Later on, you actually see on a close-up shot the back of Bruno San Martino's referee shirt. The white on one of his shoulder blades is completely covered in blood. And so I don't know how it happened. I don't know how bad it is. However, there are blood stains on just one of his legs, and it was very... I guess that's why Muda tied in, or that's why it just became a cluster there for a few minutes starting out. And I think it might have gotten a little bit on like a legit shoot because there was a few times Funk wanted Flair. He was pissed about something. So we somewhere we missed something there. I didn't see it. Uh, did you? No, I didn't realize okay. this had happened. Okay. Well, that would be the only color this match. For a match that really demanded color. I mean, uh, yeah. you think of a... A gimmick match like this, you would want color, but no no blading here tonight, other than the unintentional cut, the unintentional wound to Terry Funk's leg. Yeah, his thigh was pretty, pretty, I mean, it was bleeding pretty bad through his through his blue jeans, and so, I don't know. Scorpion deathlock attempt on Muda, and Funk breaks it up. Sting runs away from Funk on the outside of the ring. Flair and Funk start to climb the Thunderdome. What do they do when they're suicidal? Sting vertical suplexes Muda, who then bails outside and climbs the Thunderdome with Sting. So now they're all climbing. I love this. As Muda's climbing to the top rope, or the top of the cage, he hits the electrified part (laughs) and like shakes his hand. Oh my gosh, that really hurt, and then sticks it in his mouth. That would be the only like interaction with electrocution. That was the only sell point. Then we cut to Terry Funk, who climbs all the way in this corner to the very fucking top that is supposed to be electrified, no and nothing happens to him. At least Muda tried. You yes, know? Muda tried. Terry Funk didn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, Muda gets shocked on his hand, and yeah, as you mentioned, he just waves it off. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Bob Cottle rightly questions why Funk and Muda climbed the fence. That's correct. That's what I just said earlier. Flair chases down Funk on the fence and chops him down while Flair swings like Tarzan on a rope to beat up on Funk. This he is, uses this, the uh, rope. This rope swing, which, in came into a pl- which came into play most of this match. Sting press slams Muda in the ring. Funk is hanging now from the cage on the rope. Meanwhile, Muda hides under the ring for a second. Funk makes it back to the top of the Thunderdome without being shocked, amazingly, and battles Sting. Flair's in the ring with Muda and going for a figure four. Sting and Funk are still battling on the cage. Sting flies through the air on a rope, like Tarzan, and kicks Funk. Muda then kicks Flair in the back of the head while Funk and Sting are fighting on the cage. Muda locks in his submission, a reverse face lock with a bridge to Ric Flair. Ole has to go cut Sting down from the... uh... Meanwhile, Terry Funk pile drives Flair with Muda pressing down on him for a spike pile driver. Yeah. Oli can't get Sting down. Oli thinks Sting is caught in the cage. Terry Funk took the the swinging rope, and as he crotches Sting into this square cage. Crevice in the cage. Yes, this is the old style cage. This is not chicken wire. He then takes the rope and hog ties his Sting's leg to the cage. Oh, okay. And he tied this damn thing so tight, they literally could not get it loose. So somebody slips... 
Ole Anderson a pocket knife. And he has to go And cut. Ole actually goes up there and starts cutting away at it to get it loose enough for him to be able to get free. Funk and Muda batter flare while Sting is stri- still trying to get free. The purpose of this match, I guess, was all about was for this one single spot. Yes. And now, I'm aware of big, high cage spots, of course, you know, um, McFoley... King of the Ring. Jimmy Snooker. Jimmy Snooker. This is not a very memorable high spot for the cage. No, because he was just a little over the ring post. Yeah, he wasn't he, way up there. And it's also Sting, who's, you know, not the most graceful <laughs> high flyer, <laughs> right? so to speak. So Sting perches on near the top of the Thunderdome, which is really more like about halfway up the Thunderdome. Yeah. He's, and, he's basically perching on the top rope. Same as if he was on the top rope waiting to hit a crossbody or something like that. And he, yeah, he hits a high cross to Terry Funk to a huge pop. Now, he did win over the crowd. The crowd was impressed. It did. And yes. that's really all that matters at the end of the day. Muda climbs to the top of the Thunderdome, and Sting chases him, flare chops, and kicks Funk. Sting and Muda, uh, they just walk back down to the ring. They don't do another high spot. Muda tries a moonsault, but gets crotched from Sting on the ropes. Flair locks Funk in the figure four, and Sting drops a splash on Funk from the top turnbuckle. The crowd senses that this match is almost over. They can feel this match coming to a conclusion. Sting drops another splash from the on Funk from the top turnbuckle. Muda gets back in the ring and chops Bruno. Uh-oh. Big Bruno, mistake. Yeah, big mistake. Because Bruno turns off and just open hand palm chops. Dex him. Yeah. Dex Muda with a big right hand. Ole is now in the ring and fighting with Gary Hart. Gary Hart's getting ready to interfere. Ole jumps in, says, the hell you will. Clocks him. Uh-oh. This sends his towel flying. Gary Hart's towel slips out of his hand and hits Bruno Sammartino in, in the, the back. back. Bruno turns around. Wait, what's this? Ole Anderson, I've got my towel. And Gary Hart doesn't. So. And Gary Hart doesn't. So ding, ding, ding. Bruno rings the bell. 23-46 this Thunderdome match went, and I guess you could really say Ole Anderson won this match for yes, his team. he did. Well, Patrick, I mentioned there's no such thing as a bad gimmick, and that's true. Anything could be executed well. It's going to work. This was not executed well. This was a big fuck-up, in my a, opinion. An electrified cage match sounds awesome, but... You and it's have, been tried many, many times. Wrestling to, Society X. Impact Wrestling. You have to have visible electricity running through this. Or even a, or, a, a camera effect so at least the people at home can... Or imagine. a spark of something. Like, make it... There needs to be a little bit more. This was not... Well, and it has to come into play in yes. the match. You can't have, like, a... If they had a tables, ladders, and chair match, but the wrestlers were like, nah, we're not going to bother with, you know, tables or chairs. We're just going to climb the ladder and win the match. You'd be like, what the fuck, guys? You forgot the rest of the... So if you have an electrified cage, I want to see it come into play. That's the thing. It reminds me of that Big Show match a couple years back when they had tables, ladders, and chairs and stairs. Yes. And they had a a steel stair match, like the stairs that you climb into the ring. Yeah. Who the fuck gives a shit about that being involved? I mean, it's a great spot for a hardcore or something like that. Well, the stairs come into play in every normal match anyway. Right. But the stairs, like they built a 20-minute match around him just hitting him with with these metal stairs. Yeah. Uh, it was it it's 
it was a bad idea, or it was a good idea with a bad execution. My opinion... Or a, a few years ago, they WWE sold a pay-per-view with, it was Ryback and John Cena. Yeah. Last man standing. Yeah. They ended the match with no winner. How is that possible? Because eventually someone's going to stand up. They should have sent a camera crew to follow these guys. They left on gurneys. Like, they both got wheeled out of the arena. Oh, no finish. No, follow them to the fucking hospital. Whoever stands up first wins the fucking match. I agree. I'm I, like that. That angered me so much. That was at one point. I mean, I've stopped watching wrestling off and on for various reasons. But I remember that time, like I was trying to get back into it. Yeah. And the first thing I see is a last man standing match where no one fucking stands up, <laughs> or an electrified fence match well, where no one gets electrocuted. They do a ten count and go ahead and call for the bell. Even though, why are you doing a ten count until someone stands up? There's no, you have no one to count. Right. So, last man standing yeah, means someone stands. You can't count both. I agree. Or like that uh, that ECW one night stand uh, 06 match between Sabu and Rey Mysterio that just ended with, oh, they can't continue. That has nothing to do with the gimmick. That, that's just not paying off. If you, you This needed to pay off in some way, and it just didn't. Uh, I think it was, they were on to something there when you have like a, like a Tarzan swinging rope in one corner. It'd been cool if you had like... Especially kind of, Muda could have done more if stuff. Each, if each corner had something, that'd been cool. If you had had some sort of a way of it actually looking electrified, that'd been cool. That we go back now to gimmick match, you know, a couple weeks ago when they did the uh, House of Horrors. My opinion, a House of Horrors match needs to be in a steel cage or a Hell in a Cell. Weapons horrible terrifying weapons attached to this cage gruesome things gruesome torture type brutality brutality weapons that's a that to my knowledge is a house of horrors match which is the exact same damn thing that they did with dean ambrose a couple years ago but still that needs to be yeah the asylum match yeah the (laughs) asylum match yeah but that that's what it you think of a house of horrors like I'm not saying they have to use it, but like at the very top, if they had hung like a saw up there, like a hacksaw, that somebody like holy shit, somebody can grab that hacksaw and start like cutting away. It's, you know, not saying it gets used, and it's nowhere near the possibility of even slipping and actually hurting somebody. But if you just like zip tied it up there, like that, just in wrestling, the thought adds to a match. They they blew it here, and on they the, blew uh, it here. Yeah, they blew it. And so it was uh, a cool structure, though. The structure had a lot of potential. I'm surprised they never use reused this structure or changed the rules a little bit or something. Instead of Raven's little cage that they used to do with him and uh, the flock for a little bit when they do like Raven's rolls or whatever. Instead of that little cage, I think this this cage would have been a lot better. Yeah. So overall, your thoughts on uh, Halloween Havoc 1989? Uh, it was decent. Yeah, I thought it was. Uh, it's still. A, a, it was easy to watch. I wasn't. It didn't really drag for me no. that much. Well, the Tommy Rich match dragged for oh, me a lot. Oh come on! And the the actually the Thunderdome match, man, it dragged too because yeah. nothing was happening for a lot it was of like, it. Was twenty six minutes? Yeah. 2346. 2346. And That's... just a lot of kicky, punchy chops. Yeah. Muda could have done a lot more. Yeah. 
And Funk could have done some crazy shit off the side of the cage, but yeah. didn't happen. I would have liked to have seen a little more incorporation of the Halloween, like the graveyard. The set wasn't quite as nice as the, the later ones, right. like the pumpkin that we talk about. or And there wasn't a lot of spooky things, you know, gimmicks or what. There wasn't like, you know, a monster came out, a zombie or anything like right. that. I just kind of like that cheesy shit when you're doing Halloween Havoc. But, you know, it was the first one, so you have to start somewhere. Just like this was the first Thunderdome match and the last Thunderdome yeah. match. So. Who knows? Vince may pick it up and decide to use it. Yeah, you never know. You never know. So, Patrick, on our scale of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, where does Halloween Havoc 1989 fall on your glorious scale? I am going to give this a great Muda. I am going to give this a Tommy Rich. A wildfire Tommy Rich. Somebody say something about getting fired up. Like I said, the rating scale really doesn't matter. So It does to us. Yeah. And, and it does to you. Don't let him fool you. It was... It was decent but it, it could it could have added more but this this was my pick where are you taking us well this of course was a a failed gimmick match i would say correct so i wanted to find another legendary failed gimmick match to continue this streak so we will go 10 years into the future to 1999 to wwf unforgiven and the kennel from hell match between the arrested al snow and the police officer, Big Boss Man, very topical. The Kennel from Hell match, where the, the dogs would be surrounding the Hell in a Cell, and vicious dogs, if you get thrown to them, they'll tear you apart, Patrick. This was, I had never seen this match until about a year ago, and this is entertaining. <laughs> yes, it will be. <laughs> so, like I, I said, a good idea on paper. Yeah, I don't remember much about the rest of the pay-per-view, so I'm curious. I'm, I'm pumped about this one. Of course, Al Snow had kidnapped... No, Big Boss Man had kidnapped Al he Snow's kidnapped dog. Pepper. And killed and then, him. And then killed him and ate him. fried him up and made Al Snow eat him. So, yes. So naturally, we need to bring more dogs yes. into the party and have a kennel from hell match, which is not included on any Hell in a Cell DVDs for some reason. This is forgotten in the Hell in a Cell lineage. It's, uh... And we will see why, perhaps. The kennel from hell match, that's where we'll go next week. And that does it for this week in the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm Intern Alex. I'm the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history. Your name? Patrick Young. (laughs) Okay. Saying as always. Dramatic pause there. Yeah. Saying as always, my closing line's a clothesline. Bingo, bingo. All right. Did it.